Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. All right, well, good morning. It is, uh, it's, been a, it's been a good week on a particular area of my life that I, I enjoy and I, I talk about often, and so you can probably guess it has everything to do with sports. And so uh, last Sunday, we got to play a very, very intense soccer game as our collective FC came out strong, pulled out like a 5-5, last second, comeback. It was intense. It was wonderful. I may have jumped into someone's arms in that moment in complete joy. It was excellent. It was excellent. Then on Tuesday, I got a chance to go play some spike ball downtown Vancouver. It was a fantastic night. And then the real thing that I'm, I'm truly celebrating right now is our Raptors up 3-1, going down into the bay, showing them what's up, and we got game five this Monday, and I am so, 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 so excited. <laughs> Very few things get me excited to this degree, and I can happily say that I will be watching that game with anticipation for a championship. But Lots of good things. It's June. There's sunshine. We're not in Calgary because it was snowing there in June, and some of you are in shock and all. But my birthday is in June, and I've had snow on my birthday when I lived in Calgary. So I, I understand what they're going through, and I'm grateful for many things, and one of them is sunshine. But uh, if this is your first time here with us this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you're able to spend the morning with us. Uh, my name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor of this new church community here in Langley. Uh, and wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith this morning, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure what you think about this whole God thing, uh, I hope that you felt welcome, that you've had an opportunity to shake a warm hand, grab a cup of coffee, and maybe have a good conversation along the way. But we are excited to have you with us this morning because we believe that life is better done together. And that when we can have conversations that are meaningful, that we can ask questions that are difficult, and we can celebrate moments together, that life is at its fullest. And so this morning, we are continuing into week two of our series that we have just started this prior Sunday called The Throwdown in Torah as we are walking through the life of Jacob. And the idea of what it means to really wrestle with God is kind of pervades through the entire story of Jacob. And so last week, we talked about a little bit of the background of the story of Jacob, of even from the womb, he, he's talked about as, as this wrestler, as someone who jostles with his brother, this someone who, who creates a little bit of conflict and a little bit of unrest, and how even in the midst of him from the very beginning, being an individual who causes a little bit of conflict and hurts and uncertainty, even in the life of his family, God was still using him and had plans for his life. And so today we're going to continue along with that story. So I'm just going to jump right into the scripture. We're going to go into Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 27. And we'll read a few verses from there. You can follow along in the screen in the sky. And it says, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter. Remember, Esau right out of the womb was a hairy bugger. Um, Chewbacca baby, some might say. And uh, he grew up to be a skillful hunter. A man, of, I find it hilarious, to be honest, the fact that the Bible mentions that he was hairy from the womb. 
it just feels like an unnecessary uh, detail that I will happily take full advantage of. So the Chewbacca baby becomes a skillful hunter, and he is a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom means red. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. This seems like a dramatic little exchange. Your brother's hungry. He's been, he's been hunting. He's a hairy individual. He's carrying a lot of extra weight. He's out in the fields. And he just wants a little bit of that delicious smelling red stew. And the thing that you ask for is his birthright. Feels a little dramatic. But that's what he does. And Jacob said, swear to me now. He's like, give me writing in blood. So Esau, he swore to him. And he sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. There's not even meat in this thing. This is the true Vancouver stew with just lentils in it. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Seems like a dramatic trade. Have you, have you ever made a, a bad trade? And maybe... You don't feel like you've done that recently. Maybe your mind immediately goes to an investment that you made and you have a lot more money in your bank account and you're able to do that than a, and you're able to actually make a bad trade and, and jump into that world. <laughs> but perhaps it, your mind goes to when you were younger. Uh, you were trading Pokemon cards or hockey cards. Let's be honest, I wasn't allowed to trade Pokemon cards. My dad flushed them down the toilet when he found them in my house. That's another story. <laughs> hockey cards and baseball cards, things like that perhaps. Perhaps you had a sibling that convinced you that you needed to trade your dimes for their nickels because they are that much bigger and it is going to be to your advantage. Perhaps it's something like that. I, I always traded my lunches growing up, always in elementary school. My mom was super generous and create, made this like amazing lunch for me every single day. And being the little brat that I was, I did not appreciate it. And instead, I had a fixation with this beautiful processed orange substance called Cheese Whiz, which was never in my home. And there was one kid that every single day, he would bring a Cheese Whiz sandwich and it doesn't matter what I had, I would trade for that cheese whiz sandwich. And on further reflection, I think I made the wrong decision based upon what mom was putting in to my lunch. But it was a bad trade. Uh, there was a game that we played in youth groups and stuff growing up where it was called Trade Up. And you started with a, a paper clip or a penny, and the goal was to go out in groups and see how many or who could come back with the best item. The best item that we ever came back with, we traded a penny for a variety of items till we were able to get someone's unused, rusted up car, and we brought it back to the church, rolled it up, and we left it there. <laughs> so that's youth group for you. But uh, there was an individual by the name of Kyle McDonald in 2006. He started with the paperclip. And his goal was to see what he could end up with by the end of the year. Fourteen trades later, by the end of the year, he had traded that paper clip for a house. 
It was in Saskatchewan, so, eh. But, <laughs> but it was a house. And it seemed like that was a good trade. And somebody along the way might have made a bad one for him to end up where, where he did. And, and to be honest, when I, when I think about this story of Jacob and Esau, like I said, it feels utterly ridiculous. The poor guy is just a little hungry. And the first thing that little brother asks for is his birthright. It's like me grabbing one of these pens and finding out who has the nicest car in the room and saying, pen for your Bentley. It's, it's silly. It, it, it's dramatic. It's, and it seems entirely unnecessary. But the question that I think we're, we're left with is what could lead you to trade something worth so much for so little? What could lead you to trade something worth so much for so little. So we have to first understand the idea of, of a birthright because a birthright is a significant thing in the culture of the patriarchs. The encounter between the two brothers, Jacob and Esau, is a significant one because it's talking about the legacy that was going to be left by their father and for their family moving forward. In the, in the culture that they were in, ordinarily the birthright passed from the father to the eldest son. And with the birthright, there came a position of leadership in the family. There was distinct advantages. When the father passed away, they were given a double portion of the inheritance. They had the opportunity to name their next heir. It was significant, all of those things associated with the birthright. And it, it even meant specifically in this story and within this family of Abraham, of Isaac, that the, that the promise that was given to Abraham by God was going to be one carried forward by that son through the birthright. So this birthright was not something trivial. And, and I'm assuming that Esau would have known of its value through conversations with his family, with his parents. But yet we get to this moment where he doesn't seem to hold any value in it at all. And the Bible says that, th that they grew up and they established themselves. It says very specifically they grew up and one became a hunter and one became a little bit more accustomed to the things at home and, and in the tents, it says. And... It says very specifically that they grew up, but I wonder if ma their maturity really followed based upon this story. You know what I'm saying? That, that someone can grow up, but maybe their maturity doesn't follow along the way. In, in many ways, they feel like teenagers, but, but based upon the estimation of, of scholars and of a bunch of historical texts, there is considerable thought that they were in fact almost 70 at this point. So, so, so the story changes from an insubordinate, maybe immature boy to a scheming man in this scenario. It, it, it shifts the way we think about it. So they grew up. But, but did they really? Because the Bible says that they grew up in, in what they did. But the story shows us that they didn't grow in who they were. And it becomes clear that though he grew up in his skill and he, he, he hadn't really matured in his character. And for some of us, we are so fixated on the things that we do. 
on the achievements of attainment, attaining the job we want, the skill we want, the relationship we desire, the thing that we do, and we're often missing the point that the process that God is leading us through is not about what we do, it's about who we are. Yes, we need to discover our purpose. Yes, we need to be a good steward of all the things that we are given. Yes, we need to make money and provide for our families. But if you are doing those things at the cost of your character, then you are missing the mark. Proverbs 28 verse 6 says, Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. God cares about the process. And we are very much in a culture that's fixated upon the end result. That the end justifies the means. As long as I get to where I'm supposed to go, it doesn't really matter how I got there. But this story reveals to us that God cares about the process. That God is more concerned with who you are than what you do. So Esau... He becomes a skillful hunter, and he becomes really good at killing his dinner, but he never learned how to control his appetite. It's the same as, as being really good at, at making money and then not being very good with, with managing it, with having an infrastructure that knows how to be wise with it. That you're really good at developing a skill, but you have a really difficult time building an infrastructure to manage it, manage it. Some of you, some of you here this morning are really good at making friends, but you've come to this place over and over again where you struggle to keep them. Because you can grow out, but you can't grow up. And you can be nice in person, and you can be charismatic in a moment, and you can be present in this, the current situation, but we don't understand that it requires more than a moment to build a friendship, that it requires generosity and kindness that actually has a sacrificial nature to it. There's more to situations in our life than the end result. I don't want to call someone simply my friend. I want to build a friendship. Who you are matters. So Esau, Esau, he, does, he did what he always did. And in verse 29, it says that Esau came back from the open country famished. So he went out and he did what he did. He did what he was good at. And yet it, it, it didn't fulfill him. It says he was a good hunter, but apparently on this day he wasn't so good because he doesn't come back with anything. And he comes home empty-handed, and so he's hungry. And isn't it true that the moments in our lives where we have to be most careful who we talk to, who we bring into the conversation, are those moments where we are hungry, exhausted, vulnerable, overwhelmed, who is speaking into your life in those moments where you are perhaps not at your best? Who are you giving platform into your story when things are perhaps not fully available to you in the moment? Because the week has been difficult and you are exhausted. Because you have had a difficult moment and you feel vulnerable. 
Whose words are we listening to? Whose voices are we inviting into our conversations? Because the voices that we allow in in those moments are the voices that are going to often lead us towards something good or something bad. And he says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And there's a little bit of like entitlement in this, but Jacob replies really bluntly, as we saw. First, sell me your birthright. Now. <laughs> what? It's, it's so dramatic. And, and I'm, to be honest, I'm thinking here, what we know already about these two individuals. Esau, you're a hunter. Dad likes you. You get him his, his game meat. Mom, she, she's, she's all about Jacob. So Jacob's a mama's boy. Esau, beat up Jacob. Take his food. <laughs> you're the bigger man in this situation. You're a hunter. If you're really hungry, just take it. You're good. And, and you don't need to bargain with this guy who's trying to take your birthright from you. It, it just seems even more dramatic. But Esau, he's, he's weak and hungry. And in verse 32, he says, I'm about to die. What good is this birthright to me? And isn't it the truth that our unsatisfied appetites can be the trigger for exaggerated emotion? Because Esau is dramatic in this moment. I, I don't think if he's back at home, not too far from everybody else, that he's about to die from hunger after going hunting for the day. But yet he has this unsatisfied appetite that's leading to this exaggerated emotion. And our emotions can be so quick to escalate when we allow the appetites in our life to be unmet. When we, when we start to allow, to allow the unsatisfied appetites of our life to lead our decision making, our thinking, our actions, our relationships. What is leading your life? Is it the way that you feel or the things that you hunger? All reason and ration go out the window in this moment. And the modern day word for this is boy was hangry. And he just didn't have his head on straight. So, so what do you hunger after? Because this can be used for good or for evil, like I said. Because if we're driven by an unsatisfied appetite for, for financial pr prosperity, then a slight uptick in our property tax is going to put us over the edge. If, 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 we're, if we're craving, if we're locked into this unsatisfied appetite for, for sexual fulfillment, then any kind of emotional connection that we have in a room with a person suddenly seems as if it's going to be all our be-all and our, our end-all in every single moment. If, if we have this deep emotional need for, for connection and, and it's not being satisfied in healthy manners, then we're going to have day by day this up and down roller coaster of life in which we have no stability because the good moments are really good and the bad moments are really bad. And we don't sense how God is constant and faithful and good in the midst of it all. What is the thing that you hunger after? And is that what is leading your life? And if it is, is it the right thing? Is it a healthy thing? Is it something that's going to lead you towards 
still waters that restore your soul, that lead you to a place to treat people with generosity and with kindness, to sense love on a day-to-day basis, that in every moment you can refer back to that and be like, I'm, I'm moving towards the things of God. I know for myself that every time I, uh, I, get, I feel hungry, which is often, uh, and I need like a quick fix, where do I go? McDonald's. <laughs> and what do I order? A McTrigger burger, McDouble, Junior Chicken. And you know what? It is so good in the moment and then it is so bad later on. It's like the slogan, ba 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 ba, I'm loving it now. Just now, though. Later is, is not so good. And, and that's kind of how hunger works in different areas of our life, whether it's finances, whether it's emotions, whether it's relationships. If we have this deep, unsatiable hunger that is not based out of something that is healthy, anytime that it is lacking, anytime that you feel hungry, you go to the first thing instead of the best thing. And we're like, we're like Esau, and we see this bowl with some lentil no meat, maybe it smells decent, soup. That you're saying, I'm going to trade my birthright. That's going to give me a double portion of my inheritance. That's going to provide legacy for my family. That's going to be the thing that I can hang my hat on for the rest of my life. But dang, that lentil soup, even if it is a Vancouver-based recipe, sounds real good. What? Are you filling your bowl with first? Is it the first thing you see or is it the thing that you know is best for you? Because when I put my McDonald's in the bowl first, I regret it later. Sure, it feels good in the moment. Sure, my hunger is sated just for the moment. And maybe that McDouble actually tastes really good. But later on, I'm hungry again and my stomach is not happy with me. Are you making decisions based upon this hunger so that you deal with the the first thing that you see or the best thing that you see? Are you doing that with your finances? Are you investing in something simply because, because it's your first choice? Are you doing that in relationships because you are just so desperate to get in one that you go to the first person that gives you their attention? Are you doing that with your emotionality that if someone says a nice word to you, they're automatically automatically your best friend even though you know nothing about their character? When we operate out of our hunger, we are so susceptible to be manipulated by the world in which we live instead of living out of a place that is the promise of God, that he has the best things in store for us. There is power in waiting. There is power in patience. If we, if we come on Sunday and 
let's say Sunday is great, you get to sing some songs, our worship team is incredible and they do a great job every week and, and you're fired up and you feel good and maybe you hear something in the sermon, you're like, yeah, that was good, I can think about that during the week and you, you, you have a coffee and you, you shake a couple hands, you kiss a couple babies and you feel like a cool person at church, it's awesome, you feel like hot stuff and then you go home and you're like, I'm ready for a great week and then Monday goes by and Tuesday goes by and Wednesday goes by and every single one of those days you are not... You, you are not spending moments to find things that are actually going to be healthy for your soul, for your life. That you are relying purely on Sunday to be your sustenance. That the rest of the week you are not doing anything to find a rhythm of how God can be in and through your life. That come Thursday we get hungry again. And we're wondering why Sunday wasn't enough. And then we start looking for fulfillment in other places. And then suddenly the things of Sunday don't matter because the moment of Friday, Thursday and Friday says, I'm hungry. What, am I, what can I fill my bowl with? What's the first thing I can get my hands on? There has to be more than just the first thing that we look to fill our bowl with. So in reality, I think that Esau is immature. And though the story seems ridiculous and though Esau looks like a complete knucklehead, I empathize. I get that feeling. Where you were so longing for something that you need it to your very core. And then the option, the opportunity for a quick fix is placed before you and we take it because we live in a culture of instant gratification. Doesn't matter what it is, everything is quick and easy to get your hands on. And we've, we've, we've shifted the language around it to come, somehow make it more palatable. We, we've, instead of using a phrase like instant gratification, which we all feel like, ah, that's not a good thing, we say it is convenient. At my fingertips. And we eliminate the beautiful moments that provide true health in our lives for the sake of convenience. Often the first thing that gets eliminated in our stories when convenience becomes our methodology is relationship. It's connection. It's community. The thing that we need so desperately in our lives, the way that we are formed and created, we were meant to do life together. We were meant to have people who hold us accountable. We were meant to have people that walk alongside us in life. And when we substitute the idea of convenience for everything that we do, you often find that I can operate almost everything in my life from the comfort of my own home. Groceries, easy. Church, easy. Throw on a podcast, listen to a Hillsong YouTube video. You can do it. But that's not... That, that's end goal thinking. 
That's about just getting to the final spot. That's just getting the final product and not understanding that God is not so focused upon this final product as he is upon the journey that it takes to get there. That he knows that we need that conversation as we walk through the doors on a Sunday morning. We need that smiling face that's going to shake our hand and just say we're so glad to see you here. We need that moment in the midst of worship with people around us where we get inspired and excited by the fact that we're not in this story alone. We need those moments over and over and over again because it is the process in which we discover who God is in our life. You need more than the final product. You need the process. Instant gratification is perhaps the most subtle attack of the enemy upon humankind. Because it robs us of the very thing that God designed us for, and that is relationship. He desires for us to know one another truly and deeply and intimately, just as he desires that for him with us. Instant gratification is often the thing that we revert to because we live in the busyness of life. and, And that's how we structure it. And then we end up structuring our days around convenience. And then it often feels like there is no turning back. It's kind of like once you order groceries online, there is no turning back after that. I'll pay the $3 to pick it up because it is worth it. <laughs> and when we get hungry and we're leading into this place of instant gratification, we're trying to fill it with the first thing that we see. Uh, we can start talking ourselves out of the good things in our life. Kind of like Esau does in this moment. If I'm hungry... What is my birthright really worth? When we are hungry, we can make excuses that forfeit our faith, forfeit our relationships, forfeit, forfeit our, our experiences that are healthy along the way just to justify that quick fix experience, that quick fix moment. I'm about to die. What good is my birthright? And, and I feel for you, Saul, because sometimes it's hard It's hard to honor God and to look for him in moments when I have a bowl with piping hot lentil soup in it that seems so easily accessible and that it's going to satisfy me in that moment. And isn't it the case that when you're hungry, anything smells a little better than it normally does? Food tastes a little bit better. And, and even, you will be more likely to eat things when you're hungry that you particularly don't care for. <laughs> but you're just hungry. Like, I, I hate celery. I think celery is the most useless gift to the world in the vegetable food group. I don't want to be that way. Anyways. <laughs> it, I, I think of celery like the person that's in your group project that doesn't do anything, but the group is great, and they get the same mark. That's celery. And I don't know if that does anything to this message, but that's how I feel about celery. (laughs) Completely lost my train of thought. (laughs) 
Anything smells extra good when you're a little hungry. But you'll, you'll, you'll do things and, and you'll put yourself in situations when the thing that's leading your life is your appetite in a certain area, that, that this hunger that you have. You will sacrifice your integrity, your character, your confidence, your relationships just to satisfy your hunger. Something that you believe in, in moments where you feel so full and so satisfied that you would never do, we often revert to. Not because you are a bad person, but because we are letting the wrong things lead our life. Because Esau, like I said, he's not about to sell his birthright for a filet mignon he's, he's not an, or an amazing prime rib or the finest nine-course meal from Gordon Ramsay's three Michelin star restaurant. This is for a bowl of beans. And the immediate need starts to feel so urgent that we start to think we're, going, we're not going to make it if we don't have this right now. Have you, have you ever felt that way about anything? Relationships. Finances. Getting into school. Getting the job that you've been hoping for your entire life. Finding the friend that you just so desired to be part of your story. I have found that when your life is empty and when we are constantly in this state of hungering after the wrong things, we are so guilty of letting the wrong people fill our bowl. That we put ourselves in situations that are unhealthy because we're so desperate for that quick fix. And sometimes, when, when I read the story about Esau, I'm like, I just, I think he just needs a friend. And it seems so simple, right? Just, just one friend in that moment that would have said, hey man, your mom's over there. <laughs> I know she doesn't really like you, but I think she'll make you some food. <laughs> how about, how about you, you hold on to that birthright? How about you have a bit of reason and ration and, and you don't, don't rush past this moment. Walk away from the bull. And in verse 33 it says that after Jacob got Esau to swear to him an oath selling his birthright. Now listen to how sad this sounds. It says that Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew and he ate and he drank, and then he got up and left. And that's it. It doesn't even say he enjoyed it. He ate, he drank, he got up and left, and he despised his birthright. And that's so sad to me. Don't give up what you want most for what you want now. That's what happened to Esau, and that's what often happens to us. We often give up what we want most for what we want now. 
And we see that happen over and over again. Do I really want to raise my kids? But right now, she looks really good. I'm going to step outside my marriage. Selling our birthright for bowls. And, and maybe you're hearing all this in this, this conversation of birthright, and you're like, I don't have anything to worry about. I don't have a birthright that's really tied to my story that I got to handle on a day-to-day basis. I got nothing to look forward to on that front. But maybe you're just like, the, the preacher's being funny a moment, so I'll stick around for that. But you have a birthright that you aren't without value. That your future is not without hope. (laughs) That you have a birthright. Not based upon the things that you do or or the decisions that you make. But out of the promise of God that you are desperately and truly and unconditionally loved. And the birthright is one that is given to you and it is your decision to take it or not. Or do we sell our birthright for the bowls of our life for that quick fix of instant gratification? And I'm seeing, I'm seeing people everywhere, Christians everywhere, it doesn't matter. I'm seeing us sell out our birthright for a bowl over and over again. I see us giving up our legacy and our impact and our power and our purity for bowls of beans. Bowls of beans for birthrights is a bad trade. That bowl isn't going to satisfy you. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, you have that as your inheritance. As a child of God, there are things that God has set aside for you and purposed for you and intended for you and designed for you that you have, that has your name on it. And and I I love this. That the story of Esau continues. And, and we're going to follow Jacob, but the story of Esau continues as well. And, and there's, a, there's a break in the family and, and Esau goes his own path and he ends up being the father of a nation as well. And then when you jump all the way later on in the Bible to Hebrews and you look in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 says this. It says in verse, 11, uh, verse 20 that by faith... Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. It is incredibly frustrating to follow a God who constantly instructs us to wait on him. Why is waiting such an important part of our faith? So such an important part of spirituality. Because waiting is where faith actually becomes necessary. I mean, like think about it. If, if, if a, God, a God of immediate gratifi- gratification requires no faith. Waiting is our response against a culture obsessed with instant gratification. But the reason why I love that verse in Hebrews... That the blessing was for Jacob and it was for Esau. That even though Esau didn't wait, he still received a blessing. And I think for some of you this morning, you, you need to hear this. That you may have fallen 
victim to a culture of instant gratification. That you have made decisions that you are not proud of, that you still carry some guilt and some shame about, that you are not sure how that is going to impact your story, that you feel like you're still paying the repercussions for years later, months later, days later, whenever it happened. And you are holding that against yourself and you are thinking the story of Esau and you're hearing the story of Esau and be like, yeah, I've been there and I've chosen the quick fix and I've given away this birthright. But the beauty of this is that the blessing still went to Esau, even though the wrong decision was made. Because the blessing of God is not dependent upon the decisions that you make. It is purely based upon the promise and the character of who God is. That you are unconditionally loved. That you are forever seen. That His grace invades every moment of your life, whether you like it or not. He is going to be pursuing you with an urgency that will trump anything that you will feel in any bit of hunger in your life. That even when we make the wrong decisions, even when we fall victim to instant gratification and taking the quick fix and having to pay the repercussions of it in our life. The blessing of God is not qualified by the things that we do. That his blessing follows us just like it follows Jacob. Esau was blessed. Jacob was blessed. Not because of what they did, but because of who God is. And in a culture that wants to tell you, and in a, in a world that wants to tell you, you need to get every decision right, otherwise you're going to be nothing. God says the exact opposite. He says that you are going to walk through life and I'm going to journey with you. We're going to go through a process, but I'm not about the end goal. I'm about the process. That I'm going to be with you along every step of the way. And even when you get it wrong, I'm not leaving you. I'm walking with you. If you need to take two steps back, I'm going to take two steps back with you. And then we're going to keep going together. We're going to keep growing. We're going to keep learning. Because my love is not conditional upon you saying the right things and doing the right things and getting your life perfectly in order. My love is always for you and it will never leave you. That the promises of God are yes and amen every single time. Your mistakes, your moments where you feel like you fall short. When you feel like perhaps you just gave in. They do not disqualify you from the blessing that God wants for your life. Esau got it wrong. And it's ridiculous to trade his birthright for a bowl of soup. But yet, God still blessed him. Because that's who God is. That because he just sees you and he loves you. And all he wants for you is to experience how good he is. How present he is. Would you bow your heads with me? So this morning, if there's anybody here that you feel that you're carrying this, this immense sense of, of shame and, and guilt over past decisions, 
that you feel like you're carrying it and, and, and you are defining yourself by those moments. This, this morning's for you. This, this word is for you. This book is for you. And his love is for you. That it is unconditional and it is freely given. And he wants you to receive it this morning. He just wants you just to take it. So I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if that's you this morning, if you're, if you're feeling as if you are falling victim to this idea of instant gratification over and over and over again. And you're filling your bowls with the wrong things and you feel like you're selling yourself short. Just include yourself in this prayer. So Father, we thank you for every single moment that you are with us. That your pursuit of us is far more urgent and far more hungry than any of our pursuits of the things in this world. That you desire for us to experience the best. That you desire for us to experience fullness and wholeness through a relationship with you. So I pray for every single person that is carrying in this immense feeling of hurt, that you would give them healing. That you just let them know that you are with them. And if they don't know you, I pray that you reveal yourself to them in, in, in a way that is so beautifully unique to them in this very, very moment. We're grateful that in everything we do, we can come back to you and know that you are present and that you are loving and that you are with us in the midst of it all. That even when we fall short, even when we make the mistakes, even when we are Esau over and over and over again, your blessing still follows us. With that confidence, help us to go forward into our week, not with shame and guilt and res resentment upon our hearts, but with hope with peace and expectation of what you're able to do even through us, broken people in need of a perfect Savior. May we see you over and over and over again this week. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.